If you would turn in your Bibles this morning to um, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we continue a series that I have been sharing with you on the subject of a praying people. And in particular, this, what we call the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. I trust that um, it is helpful to you, and as we think about it, uh, I was reminded in something I read this week how Frequently, the subject of prayer becomes an area that as soon as the subject comes up, we all get to feel a little uncomfortable and we think, I should really pray more. And sometimes we are exhorted <clears throat> to set our alarms earlier and to be more disciplined and to just knuckle down and pull our socks up and get with it. You know, really, we should be spending great, great hours of time every day in prayer in our closet. Like the guy who said, I have too much to pray. I have so much prayer, I need to pray for three hours today. We feel a certain twinge of like, I don't think I've ever felt that way before. And maybe a little guilt. Uh, I've tried to approach this from what I think is uh, more motivating to me. And that is the fact that in Christ, we are already accepted in the beloved. We are justified. We are his children. We are adopted. We do not earn points with God by our spiritual um, exercises or our spiritual disciplines. I would rather think, when I think of prayer, I would rather think about not something that I have to do, but something that I get to do, and that it's a blessing. I've also tried to uh, encourage you to think, and I'm encouraging myself to think, about the whole concept of not getting too complicated. Sometimes we need everything to be just perfect so we can do some spiritual thing. A lot of times it's just the Nike uh, philosophy, just do it. Um, so keep it simple is the, is the way. Jesus, at one point in his ministry with his disciples, uh, was praying, and they saw him praying, and they asked him to teach them to pray. And I can't uh, help but think about the idea that more is caught than taught when it comes to many things like this. Uh, if you know someone who, is, who prays, their life is a, a challenge, is an encouragement to you, as Jesus' life was to his disciples. And that was, uh, in, that, in that occasion, uh, which you can look at sometime in Luke 11, he taught them this same prayer that we're looking at, that is the Lord's Prayer. But on this occasion, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, this is what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus was uh, addressing the problem of practicing righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Oh, you would never do that, right? People showing off their spiritual, uh, their spiritual uh, maturity or their great uh, dedication. But that was what was going on in Jesus' time. And so all of this that he's, we're about to read here comes in the context of we ought to pray not to impress people, but only to seek God and only to speak to him uh, even, even privately. So in order to get the context again, since it's been a while since we've looked at this uh, and are, 
our exact text this morning is verse 13 of chapter 6, but I'm going to read the context starting with uh, verse 5. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 5. Jesus speaking says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Okay. Amen. In this prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer, it's interesting that it's very easy, it very easily falls into two sections. And these two sections and these requests for prayer, these petitions, we call them, uh, tell us the things that we need to know about both about God and about ourselves. Think about it. Uh, Jesus tells us to pray to our Father. Our Father is the one that Jesus came to make known to us. He came to reconcile us to God, to reconcile us to himself and to the Father. So we call him Father, and he is our Father in heaven. And it goes on to talk about the fact that his name is to be hallowed. He is a holy God. He is a God who deserves all praise. He deserves our worship. He deserves our, our, our respect, our honor in everything that we do. And so we pray, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then there's a prayer for his kingdom to come. He is the one who rules, and he rightfully rules over all things. But we pray that his kingdom may come because this earth that we live in is in rebellion. But we pray that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is, these are things we need to know about God and we need to keep them in mind. But it goes on with three more petitions. Give us this day our daily bread. We need provision. In fact, this bread is not mere bread, but it is a symbol of all that we need from him. Jesus gave himself, of course, as the living bread and from him. We gain life. We depend on him for our bread. And then forgive us our debts. 
we recognize that we have not done his will because his will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven. We realize that many times we have lived as if he were not king, ruling over all things in his kingdom. We desire that his kingdom come. We pray that it would. We pray that his will would be done. But so often we find that we ourselves have failed to keep, uh, uh, to do his will and to recognize his authority and to obey him in all the things that go on. And others have sinned against us. And so we are both victims and perpetrators. And so we say, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We've talked about these things already in earlier sermons. But then he goes on to say, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So these are a really, in a way, a very succinct list of topics and themes and, and uh, qualities that we need to keep in mind. This really covers pretty much everything in the Christian life. That is, what we know about God and what we know and need for ourselves. This is, very, uh, this is a amazing, uh, in a very short list of words, in a very short group of words, we are told so many things about God and about ourselves that we can explore in great detail. So as we think about this last petition that is given to us in this uh, prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I would raise this question and raise this thought before you this morning. Can we, get, can we trust God to keep us and keep us safe until we get home? What's ahead in our lives? What's going on in our lives today? What's going to happen this week and in the years ahead? Are we going to be okay? Will we make it through? And will we get home? As Robertson McQuilkin once wrote, well, Lord, help me to get home before dark. I remember thinking back on the early days of my Christian life, I wondered if I would be able to, all the days of my life, uh, walk with him and live faithfully and obediently to him. I wondered about it because my experience up until that point in my life as a uh, person almost entering my 20s, uh, my experience had been that everything in my life up until that time, had, morally speaking, had been a failure. I had tried to do what was right, uh, then I kept backsliding. I would make resolutions to do good, but I could never keep them. I was, I, I was weak, and I felt like I, I was just very susceptible to temptation. Have you ever thought about that? Have you felt like, I don't think I can live the Christian life? How will I get through all the minefields of life and the minefields of sin in, in, that, are, that are around us? Well, J Jesus, in his mercy to us, has given us the prayer in which he tells us to pray that, we, that, we would, that God would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For indeed, we need protection. We have been told we can ask for provision, bread. We've been told that we can ask for pardon from our sins. And now we're told that we can ask for protection. Protection in two senses. First, protection in temptation. 
So the passage says, uh, lead us not into temptation. There's some things we need to think about and think about in the context of other scriptures as well. And I'm going to run you around the Bible. Perhaps we may be able to put these verses up on the screen. One thing we need to think about when it comes to temptation is that God will never tempt us. James 1, 12 to 15 says this. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, the obvious question that we would ask ourselves here is, why did Jesus say to pray, lead us not into temptation? Indeed, does God lead us into temptation? Is this even a prayer we need to make? Well, the one answer to this dilemma is that the word in the Greek text, which is translated temptation, is also translated trial. And sometimes it's translated in one sense as a temptation, that is a temptation to do something uh, against the Lord. But at other times we think of it as a trial, that is an opportunity to grow. We are being tested, we're being tried. God does not tempt us but he does lead us into testing for our own good and for his glory. Maybe a very simple illustration of this is the teacher who gives an exam. The teacher does not, well, should not give a test in order to fail the student. That's not the purpose of the test. The purpose of the test is to test the student's knowledge and to prove to the student and to the teacher that this student has learned and has grown and has matured and has uh, absorbed the material that he's supposed to know. And so in this case, God tries us and he puts us through difficult things that can look like temptations, uh, but they are trials made for our growth in the Lord. But as is possible with the test in school situations, a test can also remain can also result in failure. We are praying to God to lead us not into temptation in the sense of being defeated, but lead us not into temptation uh, in that sense of uh, being uh, defeated or or being overcome by Satan by the evil one. Think about Joseph. Joseph grew up in the family with his 11 brothers, all the sons of Jacob, and his life at home was um, tested by his brothers when they had the opportunity, they put him off and sold him off as a slave into Egypt. I think this was a test for him. And he could have responded with that, to that with an attitude of bitterness, of resentment. He could have 
concocted a plan to somehow one day sit, get back and do uh, get even with his brothers. Apparently, he didn't do that. He was sold into slavery. In the context of being a slave, instead of becoming bitter, angry, and resentful, he became the best slave he could be. He became uh, a rather responsible employee of Potiphar. And then along comes Mrs. Potiphar, and she put him to the test. Now, you'd think, this is a chance, right? It looks like a, a wonderful opportunity, but he did not fall for that. He did not, he, he did not succumb to that temptation. As a result of not sinning, he was sent to jail. So what am I doing in jail when I did the right thing? All along, these are, these are tests that God sent into Joseph's life. And all along, he passed those tests, and he grew more and more faithful and more and more responsible, and God kept blessing him, and the Lord was with him, it says in various places in Genesis. So the reason why God sends us trials is that, or even allows temptations, is that secondly, he will use temptations to grow us, to grow us. Again, going back to the letter of James, in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, hear these words. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your, of your faith produces steadfastness. And let state steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Rather than to think of trials as something we should try to avoid or get out of, he tells, uh, James tells us that we ought to count it as a joy because this is going to produce in us steadfastness. This is going to produce in us patience. This produces in us endurance. Uh, and it, it grows us in godliness and Christ-like character. If you go to the end of Joseph's life, you find out how he came out. The final exam is in Genesis chapter 50. After Jacob dies, and Joseph confronts, or his brothers confront him, and they're worried. Joseph says to them, the 11 brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to save many people. Joseph passed the exam. Then God will control the severity of our temptations. God controls how severe those temptations are that come our way, those trials that come our way. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So, we have God's promise and assurance that he will not allow us to be put through something that we, we might say, I can't handle this. But God says, you can handle it by my grace and by my strength. Paul himself suffered from a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. But he learned through that experience that God's grace is sufficient for us. And so he endured it. So we pray, we pray to not be led into temptation that would defeat us, 
but trials that we will succeed in. In other words, we could reword this petition something like this. Let the circumstances which lead us to sin instead lead us to victory and growth in sanctification. So what about temptation and how do we handle the, te- the dangers of sin? I wanted to share this illustration. You think about fire, and I am uh, told by those who know more about it than I do that you need three things for fire, oxygen, heat, and fuel. And for sin, you need two things. You need sinful desire and opportunity. Sinful desires and opportunity. Again, James hints at this in in the passage we read earlier in that, that God does not tempt us, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So one key to overcoming temptation is to reduce desire. How do you do that? Well, certainly one key thing is to pray. Pray that God would take away the love of sinning. We'll sing a little while. I think we've changed hymns this morning. We're going to sing Love Divine, All Love's Excelling. It has a great line in there. It says, take away the love of sinning. We love to sin. Take away the love of sinning. Reduce the desire to sin. And pray that he would replace love for sin with love for righteousness. It's not just no, no, no. It's also yes, yes, yes. We say to Christ-like attitudes, actions, and godliness. Pray that the prospect of growing in holiness would be sweet to your soul. Pray. Pray. And then, besides prayer, we have the resource of God's Word. Read the Word. Hear the Word. Study the Word. Believe God's promises that He has made to you or who belong to him. 2 Peter chapter 1. Think about this. In 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4, the scriptures tell us his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. May desire for godliness grow and overwhelm the desire for sin, reduce desire for sin. Secondly, to reduce the opportunity to sin. There can't be sin unless there's a desire and an opportunity. And sometimes the only thing holding us back is there's no opportunity. We definitely pray that we would not be led into temptation in the sense of, Lord, don't put me in a place where I have that opportunity, where sinful desire will meet with opportunity. Opportunity, though, abounds, does it not? So I would exhort you, as you think about this, beware of what you look at on the internet. Beware of what you read. Beware of what you watch, movies, TV. 
replace frivolous entertainment with spiritually profitable activities. Develop friendships with those who love the Lord. Avoid the places and the products which you know will provide the opportunity to sin. I think if we're honest, we know when we are taking steps that will lead to the possibility of sin, and we need to turn back before we get into it, before it's too late. I like Romans chapter 13. Here is, uh, in Romans 13, verses 11 to 14, we read these words. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, but in par- not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Help us to reduce the desire and the opportunity to sin. The second part of this petition that we're looking at this morning exhorts us to pray for protection from evil. And I should say that the word evil in the Greek could also be translated uh, correctly, the evil one. Deliver us from evil or deliver us from the one who is evil, the evil one. When you think about the one who is evil, that is Satan, the devil, and other names that we have for him, the accuser. We need to remember that God always limits Satan. One of the interesting encounters between God and Satan in Job chapter 1 and 2, probably familiar with this, we don't have time to read it all this morning, but think about what happens when Job, uh, in the book of Job, when Satan appears before God. And he accuses Job of just, Job is only in it for the benefits that he gets. He's a righteous man. He's he's blameless. And yet Satan says, eh, he's a phony. He's just doing this because you give him stuff. And so God says, all right, you can have at him, but don't touch his life. And then later he allows him to touch his health. But you see, Satan has to get permission to do anything to Job. In a similar vein, in Luke chapter 22, 31 and 32, on the night in which Jesus would be betrayed and later arrested and tried and crucified, he says, Jesus says to Peter, who he called Simon, 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 behold, Satan demanded to have you. By the way, you means you all all of the disciples, Satan demanded to have you all that he might sift you all like wheat. And then Jesus goes on to say, but I have prayed for you, that is Simon, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith, you particularly may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. 
God rules over Satan. He does not have a free reign in our lives. He has only God. God restrains him. God rules over him, and he keeps him back from us according to his will. As someone has said, the devil is God's devil. God controls him. That's kind of weird, but true. Christ in us is greater than Satan. Christ in us is greater than Satan. 1 John 4, 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We are not greater than Satan. He is a creature. He is superhuman, but he is not divine. He is not omniscient. He is not omnipotent. He is not omnipresent. He can't do anything. He is restrained. In fact, worse than that, or better than that, is that he is defeated and doomed for eternal punishment. And Christ in us is greater than Satan. God will establish us, but he will cast Satan into the lake of fire. 1 Peter 5, 6-10. 1 Peter 5 says this in Peter's exhortation to the brethren. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. that he may exalt you in the, at the proper time. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God promises to establish us, his people. He's going to restore us, confirm us, strengthen us, and establish us. But the devil, who we resist in our faith, by God's grace and his armor will be cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 20 verse 10 tells us the devil who had deceived them and was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever. The end of the evil one is, will be destruction in hell. So what practical ways can we guard against the devil? Recognize that we have an enemy. He is the serpent, the Satan. He's the father of lies. He is crafty. He is crafty, but he's not very creative because the same lies keep working. He says, and he said to the woman in the garden, that God is not good. He withholds from you good things. He's trying to keep something back. He won't let you have it. And she listened. And we listened. He says that God will not keep his word of warning. He says you will not die. He tells you 
you deserve more. Look at this forbidden fruit. He makes sin look attractive and always hides the consequences. When we eat, we suddenly discover we were tricked. Our danger is then we run from God instead of to him. If we run to him, he receives us. So we need to recognize that we have an enemy. We need to recognize that we need God's power to deliver us from that enemy. God wills that those made in his image should turn to him for forgiveness, for sin, and for deliverance from the snare of his and our enemy. Like the prodigal son, we need to come to our senses and return to the father, and he will receive us. He will forgive us. He will welcome us back, and he will throw a party when we do. So we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So can we trust God to keep us safe until we get home? God wills that all his own get home safely. Jesus gave us a prayer to pray. The Lord's Prayer is not merely a helpful guide to prayer that we can keep in our pocket or purse just in case we need it. Jesus commanded us to pray like this. And we, not, we do not need to pray it verbatim or mindlessly, but we do need to use it as a guide to the things we are commanded to be asking God, our Father, to grant to us. I'm going to ask now that we pray together the Lord's Prayer in closing. Join me, please. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. For it is not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you.